Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Blister Podcast. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. And that includes our new 2021 Winter Buyer's Guide. You should definitely check that out. And you will also find on the site the latest deals that we've added for our Blister members. So to check those out, just go to blisterreview.com and click on the navigation bar where it says become a Blister member. And I actually just learned like four minutes ago that we have just added another Blister member deal. So that should be showing up on our site today or tomorrow. So be sure to go and check them all out. Okay, today we are talking with Mally Noyes and Lonnie Brunts about their very cool mission to go ski the world, aka the Wasatch Ultimate Ridge Linkup. Now, the whirl has gained quite a lot of attention in the trail running world as a way for trail runners to go seriously test themselves in the summer, but it had never been done in the winter before. And so, you know, Mally and Lonnie thought they ought to change that. So a few days ago, I talked with Mally and Lonnie about their respective backgrounds, the origins of this idea to ski the whirl, and then from there, we really dive into a whole bunch of the planning and logistics and scouting and spreadsheets. Do not underestimate the importance of spreadsheets. That it will be a major takeaway of this episode. And all the stuff that went in behind the scenes before they set out on this mission. This is a terrific conversation with two really impressive people and two really good athletes. And after you finish listening to this, you should definitely head over to Solomon TV, where you can watch the short film of Mally and Lonnie's World Project. And so with that, let's go ahead and get to my conversation with Mally and my Crested Butte neighbor and friend, Lonnie. Here we go. All right. I am very happy to be talking with Mally and Lonnie and... Mally, we're going to start with you. Why don't you tell us a bit about your background, then we'll get to Lonnie's background, and then we're going to talk about this project and this new film of yours, which I'm excited to talk to you about. So, Mally, what should we know about you? I'm originally from Sun Valley, Idaho, and that's, that's where I grew up. I quickly took on Nordic ski racing. It's just really big in Sun Valley and fit me. I honestly love to train all the time, run and play in the mountains. And that's what my parents taught me to do and what I like grasped with Nordic skiing. So I raced for the Sun Valley ski team and then went on to college. I did go to Middlebury for one year, but then I transferred to the University of Utah, which is a better fit for me. Ski race for both of them, graduated from the U. And then it was after graduating that I decided to move on from Nordic skiing. It had just been my whole life. Like I had taken a post-grad year after high school before college and was very serious and committed. Um, so I decided my mom had been a ski bum and a river guide. And so I was like, oh, that sounds so fun compared to being a Nordic skier, like going to bed at nine and like being so serious. So I became a, a river guide in Idaho on the Middle Fork of the Salmon, which is where my mom was a river guide. And I moved to Crested Butte to be a ski bum 
Um, and you know, I needed a job. So from afar, I applied to be a ski instructor. It was a really pretty common jobs in those ski towns, you know, a lot of open spots. And I just, I lied a little bit on my application and I just failed to clarify that I was, uh, I was on the U ski team. I just failed to clarify that I was on the Nordic team. And so like growing up in Sun Valley, I did downhill ski, but I like started Nordic skiing at, I don't know, like sixth or seventh grade. And then was like full on Nordic skiing all the time. Um, rarely downhill skiing because that wasn't like good for my training. My off days are my off days. Um, moved to Crested Butte, ended up not really liking ski instructing because just my level, I was taking care of uh, little kids all day. So then I got a job serving and just skied all the time and loved it. Um, I then the next year I ended up moving to Alta, um, just a good friend from river guiding told me that if you're going to be a ski bum, you might as well be skiing powder. So I moved to Alta, worked a serving job there and just sort of like skied. And then from, and then I got, I went to a free ride comp, uh, did well in my first one, like total like surprise, just enjoying skiing. So then I started taking competitions and free ride competitions a little more seriously. The next year I qualified for the free ride world tour. So then the next year I traveled Europe, but I crashed every comp. I sort of forgot how to ski. I was like so stressed and scared. And I mean, really, I'd come from a Nordic background. Like I had Nordic skied over in Europe, but not Alpine skied. So that was like a huge learning curve just with like helicopters watching me. And like with these girls that I idolized and were on the cover of powder. And here I was like, what length should my poles be? Like, Plus sending those cliffs on those skinny, skinny little skis. I mean, that had to be really hard. Just front punching all the time, I imagine. Wait, on Nordic skis? <laughs> I'm glad Lonnie, Lonnie got the joke at least. But yeah, you, oh, so you weren't competing on Nordic skis at the FWT. <laughs> In the free world. <laughs> I, I got Lonnie to laugh at least. So I think my work she here is best. Well, I know, but... <laughs> Yeah, but the idea of you sending it on Nordic. Right? I thought that was terrifying. I thought that was good too, Lonnie. <laughs> okay, so to clarify, you weren't competing on the FWT on Nordic skis. No. I Lonnie's wasn't. still laughing, so I feel like I'm still winning here. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I appreciate the clarification. Oh, yeah. Thanks for asking. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. So, okay. Where are we in your narrative then? Yeah, I just crashed in all of them. And. Um, didn't requalify the next year, which then I just spent like my next year skiing at Alta and having a blast moving more into backcountry skiing. And that sort of is where we evolved to like, like Lonnie and I's project this last year of skiing the world and combining the uphill that Nordic gave me and the endurance and like love of exploring the mountains with like the downhill, um, excitement and adrenaline of skiing downhill and playing in my backyard. Yeah. Lonnie, it's your turn. Tell us a bit about your background. It's actually really fun to think about it after hearing Mally's and to be reminded of just how interwoven the two of our lives are with certain places and passions. Yet we are always in like a different place. Yeah. And so it's been fun to see like where they actually have intersected. But I, 
I grew up in Vail and similar to Mali, even though there was tons of alpine skiing and pretty much everyone who I grew up with was really into it. I was not. Once like Starburst stopped working as a bribe to keep me out there, I pretty much stopped skiing. And then in high school, I got turned on to Nordic through friends. And that's really where my passion for just snow sports took off and I and it wasn't even as much about the Nordic skiing it was everything that went into it like all the training and all the trips we got to do in the summer to like do running time trials and roller ski time trials and all the mountains we'd run through and up and down and the team component even though it's an individual sport just all that travel that you did with your teammates uh both like locally you would be on a team and then like regionally you would train with like a larger team. It was just so fun that I was then hooked and ended up racing through college, which is where Mally and I met at uh, Middlebury. And after school, um, after graduating college, then I moved to Stanley, Idaho, outside of Sun Valley to also work on a river as a raft guide. And I thought it'd be just this summer thing that I would get like the outdoors out of my system and then go to D.C. and work for the Environmental Protection Agency, who I had a contract with. And instead, the opposite happened. I just like fell in love with that place and um, that lifestyle. And since then, I've just built this lifestyle like centered on the outdoors. And I'm now based in Crested Butte. So I spent that first winter, I mean, that first summer on the river. And then that winter, I was first exposed to backcountry skiing and was just completely enamored with that uh, combination of like going uphill and then getting to like enjoy the downhill after you've already exerted yourself and like worked hard to get there is just a great combination. And being in these quieter places and spaces and using skis more as like a medium for exploration as opposed to you know, just having skis underfoot and sitting on chairlifts and going downhill, that just didn't captivate me the same way. So from then on, I feel like my whole life just started to be more centered around skiing in the winters and then other sports through the summers, but kind of made my way all over the country, really. Spent two winters living in Idaho, honing in all the skills I could. I was really intimidated by backcountry skiing, just knowing all the risks that are associated with it. So I just kind of like grasp on to all of the mentors I could and all of the education um, that I could take to learn as much as I could for those first two years. Got out all the time and then completely deviated from the snow world and had four endless summers living on the road literally in vehicles and just riding my bike and doing different um, jobs that had me based on the road. And then it wasn't until I moved back to Crested Butte three winters ago that my life kind of was recentered around snow and winter. And yeah, that's where I am now. And guiding here. Yes. So I guide for Irwin Guides year round. And winter is all cat skiing primarily and then avalanche instruction. And I think this year we'll be busy with backcountry. And then summer is hiking and mountain biking. And I can personally attest, Lonnie is a very fun guide to go out with. And she's both 
fun, but like also like instills a lot of like calm. So, right, like there, you could have somebody, a guy being fun, but you're like, there seem kind of sketchball, hairball. I don't know if I should really trust what they say. Lonnie instills a lot of um, confidence and is also a lot of fun. That's that would be my review of Lonnie as a guide. Mally, you've spent a lot of time with her in the backcountry. What do you think? Oh, I totally agree. I think she's a ton of fun and she's just sort of the best to be out in the mountains with. Like, I think Lonnie and I communicate so well together. And that's something that I notice is so different, maybe because we're both female and so we're both completely honest and open. And like, I never feel like anything I say is going to be judged or stupid or yeah, I think we just communicate really well and that really helps a lot too. But yeah, I have a lot of fun with Lonnie. Look forward to a lot more times in the mountains. I, I'm sure that a lot of the things I say, Lonnie does judge me and views them as stupid. And yet she's still <laughs> fun and instills a lot of confidence. So it's all good. You know, it's it's fine. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. We all make mistakes. <laughs> we got to talk about Middlebury just for a second here. Because I fear that like all of our various blister podcasts are just what we do now is just talk to people that went to Middlebury and pretty much we only talk to people who used to Nordic ski. What is happening here? So just to run down the line of some of the Middlebury folks that we have previously had on this podcast, Simi Hamilton, right? You guys know Simi? Noah Brodigam, Jed Yeiser, yep. just to name a few, and then the two of you, and I'm probably leaving out apologies that to the you know dozen other Middlebury folks that that I've had on, and I'm forgetting at the moment. But what's happening to my life? D- do you have any theories about this? Nordic skiers do cool shit. Ah, that's a pretty solid answer. Although Jed was an alpiner. Jed was an Alpiner. He's he's the lone exception, though. So I don't know. I think we just move on. Mally's Nordic skiers <laughs> do cool shit. Apparently, is the answer. But well done to the Middlebury Nordos. Yeah, <laughs> is Nordos considered an offensive name? I think maybe Nordork is a bit more offensive, but so it's <laughs> the word that. I usually go with. Okay, Nordork, more offensive. Okay. I thought I thought Simi taught you that it's cross country skiing. I get so confused. You're right. He did. Yeah. I'm sorry, Simi. I I can't it's been such a back and forth conversation. So it's cr- you guys were calling it Nordic, by the way. So I blame you two. Yeah, I call it Nordic. I don't really Simi says like cross country skiing because then it is like all encompassing instead of just the Nordic countries. But I guess I'm sort of indifferent and I call it Nordic. I like to make fun of myself for being a Nordork because we're all a little strange and obsessed in different things. And I think to be a good Nordic skier and to be a Nordic skier that's stuck with it, like through college, you have tendencies that other people don't necessarily have. Yeah. Given the many zillions of conversations I've now had with former cross-country skiers, I think <laughs> you're right. I also think that's a perfect segue. Oh, I was going to say, I think the same goes for just... People who choose to attend Middlebury College, it takes so much drive and motivation to go there that oftentimes what I found with peers of mine, they're just involved in so many different, really fascinating initiatives and have all these interesting careers. And 
same goes for Nordic skiers. They're just super driven and it's fun to have followed a lot of different Nordic friends paths beyond the sport. Getting back to the idea that Nordic skiers are weird and do obsessive things. I feel like that's a perfect segue to talking about the whirl. Uh, so I'd just like to uh, ask next, why don't you tell us about the whirl? Yeah. So the whirl, which is spelled W U R L stands for Wasatch ultimate Ridge link up. And so it was named by Jared Campbell um, a while ago. Uh, it's so it's the ridge that goes around Little Cottonwood Canyon, which houses Alta and Snowbird, um, making sort of a horseshoe. And so a lot of like old timers who grew up in Little Cottonwood Canyon will call it like the horseshoe. But Jared really popularized it with, and I think the name is very fitting. And he started a blog, uh, this little simple website, um, and I think he was the first person to at least record doing the whirl, starting at one side of the canyon and going from the city straight up to the top of Twin Peaks, which is like bushwhacking through Ferguson Canyon. And then once you're on the ridge, you just stay along that ridge all the way around, going around the top, the Devil's Castle at Alta, and continuing all the way back down to finish at Lone Peak and then down into the city. So you've got like huge 6,000 foot plus climb in the beginning and then 6,000 foot descent at the end. And so this is all running in the summer. It's not really a trail, really limited trails. Uh, It's mostly all off route and it's like scrambling. You're not running. You are scrambling and like walking over rocks. And the total stats are something like 32 to 36 miles 18,000 vertical feet, and then times, times just like got crushed this summer. But to have anything at like 24 hours was like a really respectable time, just let alone like finishing it, like that's hard. So that is the whirl, which became this like bigger and bigger thing for ultra runners and climbers, like Alex Honnold came out and did it. And so I've been like, sort of obsessed with wanting to do it. And So much so that I started to like think about it in the winter and being such a skier and loving skiing, like seeing how you could travel through the mountains, you could ski through the whirl and use the snow and the skis to move through the whirl, which sort of initiated my idea of skiing the whirl in the winter. Uh, And more just like using the route of the whirl as inspiration, but not necessarily like sticking to the ridge or the exact way, because that just wouldn't be fun. It would just be like climbing over rocks and snow forever. Um, but instead, like using the whirl as a route to bring us to some of like the best lines in the Wasatch. Because along that ridge line, you've got so many cool ski lines, which is just a pretty cool way to tour the Wasatch. There's a really cool line in the film, and I forget who says it, but the, the quote is, the whirl is less of a route and more of a concept. And I kind of love that. And I think you just did a, gave a nice description of like why that is the case. So yeah, the concept of the world. Yeah, yeah, totally. Which, yeah, I think Jared said that. And it was, yeah, it's cool. The world, at least in Salt Lake, and I think it's only growing, is like definitely becoming this exciting thing here. 
And then it's just such a cool way to travel through the mountains where you start on like the slate of Twin Peaks and then you're finishing on the granite of Lone. And then you've got like the Devil's Castle in the middle. And it's just like you get to move through the mountains in such a different way. Lonnie, what would you have to add to that? Well, building off of the concept idea, I think what was so appealing to me when Mally presented her idea to me, having the route in mind just allowed us to just build off of it. And at first... I thought we would maybe even go into it with like more of an endurance mindset and try to just do it in one big push like runners do where, you know, you try to complete it in one go. And that sounded super fascinating, knowing how strong Mally is to have someone like her who physically has the fitness and the strength to pull something like that off and then technically has the skills to... um team up with and communicate with and do it, make all of those decisions with to do that in the winter sounded super appealing. And so to think that we worked through that iteration of a concept all the way to the concept we decided to go with in the end, it was so fun to have this like horseshoe as our route, but to then build off of it based on what most interested us. And it was really fun the way we, decided to execute it, deciding to break it up over the course of four days, sleeping along the route three nights. Because like Mally said, we didn't stay true to the ridge line, summiting every single peak and only sticking to that ridge. Instead, we had the freedom with snow to just carve our own path literally along the whole way, going up and down, up and down, up and down. And so while we would ultimately always regain that ridge line, we got to ski all these different peaks and all off all these saddles and really different lines that called to us along the way. And through all of the preparation beforehand, Mally obviously lives there and she's much more intimate with the terrain, but looking at maps and then her and I going out in scouting sections, it just allowed us to work off whatever inspiration we had and um, adapt to like the conditions we experienced with, you know, snow and avalanche safety and all of that, which, yeah, made it a really exciting trip. And Mally, as you were kind of saying, I mean, the world certainly seems to me has been talked about and done. I think I probably know it mostly in, I'd say, kind of the ultra running world first and then climbing world second. So, I mean, how much has this sort of been done? The snow version, the ski version? I think to the best of my knowledge, there has been a group of three men who have gone for it. One group of three. And that's all I know of. And talking to them, that's all they know of too. They actually went for it speed. They're all schemo racers and ultra runners. So they went for it to do it really fast. And I think at like 24 hours, they were sitting like just below Lone Peak and decided to go down. And I think it was actually their second attempt at going for it. Yeah, all really cool guys. And I really respect what they went for. And Lonnie and I just decided, we, yeah, Lonnie said it perfectly. It evolved the way we did the trip, which I thought was really fun. A little slower with camps and stuff. and. We did a lot more skiing, sort of. I don't know. <laughs> sort of. Yeah. Well, it was nice, too, to have, like, 
we didn't have like a specific plan of what we were doing. Like we knew where we were going to camp, but like in between we had ideas of what we wanted to ski, but it was all dependent on what the weather was going to be like, which I think is necessary when doing a winter objective. Like you've got to, you've got to be safe with the hazards and the avalanche risks. So we always had like different plans depending on the weather and conditions. Got it. Let's start getting into sort of the logistics of this and the planning of this trip. So first question, when did you two first start talking about this project? Actually, this time last year, it was in October. And I called Mally on my way to Salt Lake City. I was going to the AMGA conference and I called to catch up about some Solomon stuff. I heard she was getting signed to the team and wanted to congratulate her. And uh, then we started chatting winter and she threw this idea out. And I was also like, oh my God, this is super last minute. I have no place to sleep. Can I (laughs) sleep with you and I'll be in town tonight? Does that work for your schedule? (laughs) And Mally's like, yeah, sure. Come on by. So I stayed with her for that week and I mean, I was in meetings all day. Mally was like busy with school and life, but we were able to connect every night and start to chat. So it all started, yeah, a year ago in October. And so when did you actually start this trip? What were the dates on that? Uh, March something. Do you remember, Lonnie? No, we had a big window. I feel like it was March 6th until the 17th or something like that. Yeah, we had a weather window. (laughs) okay had a weather window like so sometime in this range of march 6th to the 17th which was mally's spring break from school yeah so i'm in nursing nursing school graduate in december this december but yeah i was i was in nursing school so i planned it to be during spring break with like maybe missing some classes on either side if need be but okay so you have this window a roughly 12-ish, 11-ish, 12-ish day window. Do you actually not remember? So when you actually started though? They don't. (laughs) No. Oh, it became such a blur. It was like pack. And then Uh we had to like, the day before we started, we went and cached our camps. So we split. I went and cached camp number one and Lonnie went and cached camp number three. Uh, And then we packed everything for camp number number two which was going to be at the supreme top shack at alta uh so that was ready for like the patroller who was meeting us up there to take the gear up so it's like i guess our trip didn't start then but like we were still ski touring with really heavy packs that day let's talk about spreadsheets i heard that there was a lot of spreadsheets in the preparation for this trip I don't think when people have in mind like man it would be cool to do like a sweet winter objective we probably don't talk as much about spreadsheets as maybe we should. I don't know if the floor is yours. So one of the reasons I already touched on this a little bit, part of why I love doing things with Mally is because she's so strong and so smart. She just makes a really good partner um, in the mountains. But I also knew having been partners with her at Middlebury on a project in urban geography, just how academically driven and organized she is as well. And so her and I kind of share that. And on past projects or trips, I think her and I each have the tendency to be the planner. And so for the first time, we got to like share that 
responsibility and like burden, you know? And so it just took the form of spreadsheets and Google Docs and lots of phone calls. But rather than, you know, just talking through an idea and like the tasks and the action items kind of fall by the wayside and deadlines and everything, these spreadsheets and these deadlines we set for ourselves we were just able to stay on top of them with everything we had going on. Cause for me, like the winter season is so busy with guiding for her being in school. We just had so much on our plate all winter long. Um, it for one was hard to communicate because I'm usually out of service or with guests all day and don't get home until super late. And you know, she's in class. So spreadsheets were a really good way for us to be able to like communicate and hold each other accountable to get, everything in place for this trip it's also like so much gear it wasn't just like going on some ski days like we had to organize different gear for each camp stash so that was like a different tent for each one different pads and sleeping bags and then food at all the different ones and then adding pieces to making the film was like the list of people to interview and like there's just like a lot of components that when you really break it down I like to write everything down and I know Lonnie's the same like list maniacs Um, (laughs) but then we get it done so did this start becoming you know like a like a competitive thing like you felt be honest you felt like, I kind of need to step up my spreadsheet game here. And then suddenly it just <laughs> led to this. It's almost like two friends arm wrestling at a bar. and But then yeah, it kind of totally. gets serious. And so you're like, well, fuck, I'm here. I better put out 30 new spreadsheets tonight. And then you wake up and it's like, damn it, Mally put out 41. Is this how this went? I think this is a little bit of how this went. <laughs> I don't think there was any competition, but there was at one point I was like, okay, I worked on a document of all the things that we need. And Mally totally went through and like redid the format. And I looked at it and I was like, oh my God, this actually makes sense. Thank God. (laughs) Mally changed it around. (laughs) I did it like during class. (laughs) You should not admit that on tape, but we'll, uh, anyway, it's okay. (laughs) You're a good Um, multitasker. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm getting good grades. It's okay. (laughs) Yeah, I think... We definitely were not competitive. I noticed that like, like Lonnie said, like having someone else that is just as much of a planner and a doer is so nice. And then I would see like, oh, she did all her tasks on her list. Like I better get, get going and do my stuff. I had said I had done, which I think really helped and just like only like kept the ball rolling and just like allowed us to fine tune small details of like stuff that I think like making breakfast burritos that we had for different breakfasts and stuff like those fine details that you would have never pre pre-made them and put them in the food and all the stashes and stuff. So like allowing us to do all these like small things that I think did really help in the long run. And then one last thing just to add, because we did the trip, but we also two weeks prior did a scouting trip uh, because for me it was all new terrain and I didn't think it would be fair to Mally to be her partner and come in blind to it all, just knowing we were going to be pushing really long days. Uh, I wanted to get more familiarity with the route and the terrain and the snowpack. And so that kind of just added to that planning to get like that trip in place and to have actual objectives because we only had three days 
to be out in the field together to like get through all the objectives that we had. And then it was two weeks prior to the actual world to make sure, I think something that I am guilty of, usually when my life is too packed, I don't leave time for that like reflection or, you know, to necessarily learn from certain opportunities or certain experiences or whatever. And so like with all of our planning that took place ahead of time and these spreadsheets and whatever, it also held us accountable to like, really maximize those three days and then have a few takeaways to make sure the actual trip itself went smoothly. So talk about the scouting part where you like, okay, we're going to do one day, this one leg. You weren't camping during this, right? No, we basically like skied the entire world, world, but way more on our scouting trip because when you ski the world, you have this really long approach into first gain, like, the very first peak and ridge line, and then you get to stay true. And it's just like whatever free skiing you choose to do along the way where you're going down. And then you have to go back up and down and go back up. Whereas with our scouting trip, we constantly every day required those, that really long approach into the mountains. And then yes, we would look at certain segments. And part of what we wanted to find was what made the most sense or what locations made the most sense for camping. But because this was an opportunity for us to ski, we also wanted to see, get ideas on like certain lines that both would challenge us, that would inspire us, that we wanted to ski along this route. Like we found on one of our scout days, we found this little couloir that would like cut instead of like it's like this whole cliff band and there's one couloir coming through it so we figured out that you could come from the back side um, which would be the way we'd be coming in the world and ski this couloir instead of having to go around this huge cliff band so that was like a convenient thing of scouting we found a few things like that totally and the couloir itself is so tiny and short that on a map or like google earth it would just be overlooked it really took getting eyes on that terrain to find this little sneaker pucker line that saved us a bunch of extra skiing we would have had to do to get around. Yeah. And on those scouting days, like that was, I had so much fun those scouting days. They were big. Like we'd start early in the morning and then we were like skiing down in the dark like three nights in a row and then hitchhiking and like Cause you'd put our, we'd start our car one place and have to climb up and then do a section and then finish at another and then have to hitchhike. Completely. And it was also, so Mally and I do have a history of skiing together, but not living in the same place. We aren't regular ski partners and our last trip was maybe, I don't know, two years prior. We did a hut trip in Idaho. Maybe, I don't know how, long it was between that hut trip and our trip. So it was also just another opportunity for us to like practice our decision-making and communication and route finding and everything together before executing the world. Yeah. And before having like the pressure of like cameras on us and (laughs) yeah, yeah, other people with us. (laughs) Mally, do you want to talk about the pressures of having a camera on you? You just made a funny face. I think I got really used to having the cameras. It definitely just like adds a little thing, a little difference, right? You've got like, you have to, it's always slow when you're moving with a camera because you've got to like set up the shot and then you got to wait for the light and like 
there's just a whole nother element to think about. And like the lines you're skiing, you're going to ski it for the camera, not necessarily the way you're going to ski it. And so like just adding all those aspects to it, which I think, yeah, which is just nice to have Lonnie and like know that we had like communicated really well and like really trusted in each other. Not that there's like any problems with the filming or anything in that regard, but yeah. It's a different dynamic. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. Yeah, and I think like watching the film, I I get sucked in. I get absorbed in. I'm like, oh yeah, they're clearly just skiing for the camera. Like it's it's it really. I, I think one of the things I really enjoyed about the film was it does just feel like you're there and a part of it. And so it's almost funny to be reminded of something I know well, which is, yeah, it's another variable and dynamic and a thing you have to pay attention to. Credit to the filmmakers, too. It's like when that gets pulled back, that should be invisible, right? I think good filmmaking, the camera sort of feels invisible. Yeah, yeah. But when you're the person in front of the camera, not so invisible. No. Or when you're getting like asked questions and you're just like so tired and don't want to talk to anyone and you're like oh yeah it's like hailing on me and let me like put on a smile and talk about where we are right now like (laughs) stuff like that (laughs) well I think something that I learned somehow was anticipating it another reason that scouting trip was important for Mally and I to like establish our partnership together was knowing that once the full team came together with the photographer and videographer, the dynamic changes because while it was Mally's and my trip and our concept and we had the freedom to really move through and navigate the terrain the way we wanted to, it's the backcountry. And like no matter who you have with you, then becomes your teammate. And so it was really critical for us to establish that partnership between the two of us to then be able to bring on these other two and then for all four of us for our actual trip to be able to then collaborate and work together because it's so much more than obviously just skiing and just filming. Like you, you have to, at the end of the day, all work together and stay safe out there and have like everyone's back. You have your own, but you have your partners, you have the videographer, the cameraman, like, and you know, it goes both ways. How did it go for you guys in terms of, snow conditions and stability you know i mean you had a pretty specific window right nursing school spring break so did you were you like we super lucked out in terms of stability and the rest or like eh, i wouldn't quite say that or tell us about that component of it what do you think lonnie i think we had it like pretty good it was stable We've been getting good snow consistently through Utah. So like all aspects had been staying stable and getting a good base. And then it snowed like a little bit the day or two days before we started. No, I think the day before. And so we had like fresh snow, like a blanket of snow over everything for day one. And we're still like finding... I mean, the Wasatch can be so busy. But day one, we literally saw no one and skied really good snow. Yeah, I'd agree. I think our scouting trip, we definitely left that and we're like, oh my God, if we have weather like this, we are so psyched because it's high pressure. Everything had just locked up, um, dropped to like low avalanche danger. We felt like we were definitely seeing good stability and spring skiing, like good corn skiing and then good freezes. 
And then for our actual trip, it was a bit more dynamic. And so we did have, like Mally said, that first day, actually good quality snow, but then it did sort of change throughout the next three with winds and changing temps and a little bit of hail. But overall, in terms of like, we were at least fortunate to have decent stability to move through, but maybe not. We never had great spring skiing or that like good quality powder skiing didn't it? stick around for more than that first day. And we did get like the last day we definitely had probably the worst that sort of changed our plans. It was just a big storm coming in. So we headed down. Big storm coming in. So it was like, we should hustle here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, we shouldn't go to that really tall open peak and try to ski down this uh, really exposed line. <laughs> yeah. Super high winds, very low viz, precip. In colder temps, that was the coldest night of camping for sure. And then that whole next day was freezing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I want to let you two get going soon, but before I do, I kind of have to ask, like in thinking about this mission, do you have kind of in this particular moment in time right now, like a standout moment or a highlight of the project? Yeah. So I think there, it was on day three and it was the sun had come out, it had been windy all morning, and then it finally calmed down, and we were skiing off of Red Stack Mountain, and it was like sort of this sticky, but still really fun corn skiing, and we could see where our camp was that night, and I remember like skiing down a long chute, having so much fun, and then Lonnie meeting me, and we were just like at this point, like three days into the trip, like finally like really really comfortable and used to the situation like I had just been sick so I'd been like pretty low energy but at that moment I had tons of energy maybe it was downhill skiing yeah we were just having a really good time and then we skinned through these like nice rolling hills and sat and just laughed and talked about what cocktail we would like right now and so we were like dreaming up these exotic cocktails because it was like we were on on a beach you know even though it's like snow everywhere but in the sun and so what cocktails what what co- did like any win the moment <laughs> i think i ended up going with the gin and tonic just because it was feeling so beachy because our first night we literally skied until the moon rose because we had such a long we had so much ground to cover that day and we we had so many lines we wanted to ski it just made for a a super long day so we never had that downtime for sunset and then it was really stormy the second night. So, you know, it was feeling so warm and beautiful and sunny and we were finally getting this moment to just slow down for the first time of the trip. And so I think I went with a gin and tonic because for whatever, I don't even think I had one gin and tonic this whole summer, but <laughs> for whatever reason, it That's, seems like such a... That was going to hit the spot. <laughs> a summery, or yeah, a summery drink. Yeah. And I think too, at this point in the trip, like, at least for me, I think the beauty of the world, it's like both the like, the best part and sort of the scariest part about it is it's this horseshoe. So when you're starting, you can see the finish and you can see everything you have to do. And so really intimidating at the beginning, standing on the first peak, like we have so far to go. We have so much up and down to do. And then at this point, like I knew we were going to make it. and 
because now we're looking at where we had started and it was like confidence and inspiring to be like, we skied all of that. Like, so I think that was part of it too, is sort of the celebration there, dreaming up our cocktails. (laughs) (laughs) And I think even just hearing that Mally makes me think of what was my highlight. And I really think it was just having this focus for four days, we have this horseshoe to get around. It's so fascinating that when you put your mind to something, you can just keep going and going and going. And yeah, you'll have moments where you feel a little beat down or a little tired or the weather is like a little harsher than other glorious moments, but you just keep going. And it's, for me, was such a treat to just have these four days and three nights to only have to focus on that. And like getting to go to sleep out in the mountains every night and wake up in the mountains with this objective to like get to another spot. But it was so much more than that. We, it was like a whole journey in and of itself each day. And then over the course of those four days. So having, yeah, that focus to just work through some of those tougher and more exhausting moments and let your body just persevere and push through. And I think our strength too, is we like, giggled and laughed at all the lot of the hard moments Completely. which helps <laughs> giggling here's to giggling mm. yeah mm. Alani's so good at it she I makes every situation that. fun <laughs> well this has been really fun speaking of fun i'm excited for people to watch this film by the time this conversation airs it will be up on solomon tv You all, if you haven't already, by the time you hear this conversation, go check out this film. What's the title of the film? The Whirl. Very apt (laughs) title. Um, Subtitle, The The Adventures of Lonnie and Mally. Or The Giggles. (laughs) (laughs) Nailed it. Nailed it. (laughs) But yeah, this is a fun one. And I, I think you'll what I just enjoyed about it was watching like two friends, fun people go do something big and cool. We just get to, we just get to travel along on your journey. And and this is a, this is a good one. So yeah, well done you two. I hope there are more of these to come. Oh, we have a lot of ideas. A lot of ideas. ideas. Maybe, you know, maybe the, after the next one, I'll just be waiting in the parking lot with some gin and tonics and, you know, Or, or Mally, come see us in CB and we can have all have like the first gin and tonic we've had and who knows how long, <laughs> but this needs to, I feel like this should happen now, you know? Yeah, it, yeah. Okay. I'm into that. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, hey, thanks you two. This is really fun. Kudos on putting together a cool project with, you know, built upon lots of spreadsheets. I'm glad that if nothing else, we've been able to ensure that people going out on cool winter objectives we have underscored the importance of the spreadsheet. So I feel like uh-huh. our, I feel like our work here is done. <laughs> yeah. And color coding them. I like to color code them. Okay. That's maybe a different <laughs> episode. We'll get into the color coding part, but um, Hey, I'll let you two get going. Thanks so much. Congratulations on a job. Well done. Yeah. Thank you, Jonathan. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Well, that's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. And if you are enjoying these conversations, we would encourage you to subscribe to the Blister Podcast, leave us a rating or review in iTunes, and be sure to tell your friends about the show. 
you know, so that you and your friends have just another fun, cool thing to talk about, right? I also want to say thanks to Mally and Lonnie for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. Now, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again real soon. <laughs>